Would you guys go ahead and join with me and give a little round of applause and welcome up my friend Chris. Hey, uh, let's just pray before we get started, man. I, I don't know if that scripture moves you, but man, it, it moves me. I, I got to pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we worship you. We praise you. We, we thank you, Lord, that you're our shepherd, that you're with us, that you lead us and guide us in paths of righteousness. Lord, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Lord, in you we shall not be in want. Lord, in you we have all we need. You satisfy our deepest of longings, Lord. Even though we may be tempted to look elsewhere, Lord, all that we need is found in you and your goodness and mercy and your love. Lord, I pray for your spirit to move today to, to shape us shape our thinking, to, to shape our, our emotions and our affections and the way we feel, Lord. Draw us to yourself. That's what this psalm is all about, yourself. Draw us to you, Lord. Change us. And uh, we just ask for your grace here, your spirit to, to be moving, Lord, to make this psalm that we know in our head, make it real to our heart, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, guys, uh, thank you uh, so much for having me here. Uh, I got to enjoy it last night with the Goffney family swimming in their pool, uh, eating uh, off this manly gr grill, this uh, George Foreman man grill, some hot dogs there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we just had a great time swimming there, man. I love the Goffney family. I love David. You guys are, are blessed to have them. They're just real people who love Jesus, which which is a blessing, you know, and, and uh a little bit about us at Redemption West Mesa. We're about to celebrate our five-year anniversary. Redemption West Mesa is a multi-ethnic church that exists to love Jesus by loving one another and loving our neighbor. And so part of being multi-ethnic and loving our neighbor is we have a bilingual service. And, uh, and so today I feel like a, an animal left off his chain because I'm usually bilingual. I'm waiting for a translator. <laughs> so, so I get to talk and it's nice. I get to breathe. But, uh, but we love it. We're, we're serving a community there, uh, you know, uh, Mexican immigrants to, to Chicanos, Mexican-Americans, white. It's a really diverse group, really cool. If you're ever in Mesa, come, come visit us. Uh, I've been married uh, to my beautiful wife, Ruthie. She's right here. I'll embarrass her. We're coming up on 10 years, three beautiful daughters, Olivia, seven, Sophia, five, Emmy, three. And, uh, and uh, we're here to start our family vacation, right? The right way to start a family vacation in beautiful Tucson, and we're heading to Disneyland right after this. <laughs> so, all right. So one of the things I've been talking about with the Psalms as we've been preaching them is that the Psalms shape our thinking, right? They shape, the Psalms are instruction. They're actually God's word. They're God-breathed, right? Even though they're written by man, you need to know that, that these are men who are inspired by God. So this is God's instruction, and it shapes the way we think. It shapes the way we think about God, you know, the world around you, ourselves, others. It, it, it shapes our worldview. Psalms are important instruction, all right? They're not just poems. They're instruction, all right? But the Psalms also shape our, our feeling, the way we, we feel, our emotions, our desires, our, our affections, right, our love for God. They shape our 
affections. And, and, and so the Psalms have been great for me. I am, uh, I've grown up, uh, I kind of grew up uh, in a difficult circumstance situation and I kind of learned to shut down my emotions. And even as I, I became a Christian, I could shut down my emotions and, and not feel emotion, just go straight to truth. So what the Psalms begin to show us is it's okay to feel emotions, right? You guys went through a lament Psalm a couple weeks and it was like, it's okay to cry. It's okay to question God and come to him and ask him why and, and cry out to him, right? So it's shaping our, 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 our emotions and then it's shaping our, our desires, our love for God and our desire for him. And, and so as I've been, uh, I've always struggled with, I, I can't cry for anything except for watching The Notebook. The Notebook gets me every time. The old folks, when they're like cuddling in the bed and at the end, oh man, that gets me every time. But I've, I've always struggled to cry, right? Uh, and I even felt guilty. Why, why can't I cry? Like I should probably feel crying right now. This is bad. And I just couldn't do it. And so the Psalms are helping me to let go, you know, to feel. And uh, the other day I read this John Piper article. He was, it was like 10 uh, reflections of him about his father, about fatherhood that he learned from his dad. So you should read it. It's excellent. And I got to the end of it and I cried. And I was sitting in my car and I was like, whoa, what is happening to me? I'm kind of <laughs> freaking out. But, you know, I felt emotion and it felt good. It felt really good. And so that's what the Psalms are helping me do. So as we go through the Psalms, they're shaping our thinking, right, uh, and, and our feeling, our emotions. All right, so as we go into Psalm uh, 23 here, I'm excited to do Psalm 23. This is like the big Psalm, right? It's even got the number 2-3, Air Jordan. This is Psalm 2-3, right? I should have wore a Jordan jersey. <laughs> but uh, but th and with this Psalm here, we see that's a song of confidence and the trust in the Lord. It's a, it's a psalm of, of being refreshed in the, in the goodness of God, the, the hope that we have in him, in his presence, and, and the satisfaction we have in him. It, it starts out describing us as, uh, as his sheep, right, and he's the shepherd, which we don't necessarily understand how, how, how powerful this metaphor is, but it runs through all of Scripture, but the, the, the image of sheep and shepherd was common in, this, in their culture as they had sheep, right? They raised up shepherds or sheep herders. But it was a, it's an image of intimacy, right? Because the shepherd would live with his sheep, right? He would, he would be with them 24-7, leading them, guiding them, protecting them, meeting their every needs, Need, right? That's what, that's what the shepherd does. He's guarding over the flock and leading the flock. And we, with also we see this, this, and the main theme of this psalm is the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. And, and I'm going to start with this, but I want to come back to this because this is what the whole psalm is about. And I don't think you can fully grasp it until you go through the whole psalm. So the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Right? So that idea is I shall not lack. I shall not be deprived of anything that I need. I shall not lack anything that God sees that is good for me, that is the best for me. I will not lack that. All right? And so here even the picture here that the, the psalmist is painting is one of peace and provision. Right? The psalm starts out with in, the, in the meadows, right? He's, he's leading me into to the green pastures, 
right? That's food, that's, that's rest. He's leading me besides still waters to drink. And, and there's this beautiful, right? It's beauty and rest and provision. And then, and then it continues on, he restores my soul, right? This idea of restoration is, is two ways you can look at it. It's like restoring my vitality, right? Restoring my strength and my energy and supplying my needs. But it's also uh, salvation, right? God is the savior and sustainer of everyone and everything, right? So he's He's sustaining but he's also a savior that he restores us from the from the darkness to light right even if as we saw, sang that song it talked about digging up right the roots and planting something new right the restorer digs up the old and and brings starts something new that's what the restorer is doing and he leads me in in paths of righteousness for his namesake and then he so he he restores me and sets me on this path of righteousness Right, this path, and it, it, and the, the shepherd is now leading his sheep towards righteousness, which is right living, right holiness, doing good. The, the even the idea of you've probably heard this before. We've been blessed to be a blessing, right? That's a biblical theme, right? Where where God blesses Israel to be a blessing to the world, and and this theme carries on, right? God is. Is, is blessing us in those pastures and, and restoring us and setting us on this path of righteousness to be a blessing to all of the world, to all of Tucson, to your neighborhoods, to your schools, to your families, to your extended families, wherever you go. You're on the path of righteousness. So this, this psalm is about life, right? It's about how we live our life. It's about all of life being all for Jesus, right? That path of righteousness is now all my life is on this path. I don't have two different paths I live. It's one path, and it's all the righteousness, the righteous path, the good living. And so another thing you see is Christians don't just, uh, the path of righteousness isn't just about uh, stop doing bad stuff, right? That's sometimes we think, okay, I stopped watching those movies. I got to stop lusting. I got to stop being so angry. I got to stop cussing, whatever. You need to probably stop doing those things, but it's more than that, right? It's not just stop doing bad stuff. It's start doing good. Start seeking the good of your neighbor, right? Serving, blessing, giving your life away, genuinely loving people, obeying Christ, right? Uh, Sharing the good news of the gospel, sharing your life and your story, that's the path of righteousness. And really, that's the New Testament call of the church, right? So if you guys know the, the biblical story or the biblical meta-narrative, that is the story of God's people. So in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, right? It's beautiful, perfect relationship with him and, and creation and, and, and mankind, perfect harmony, perfect shalom. And then man rebels against God, right? They seek to do their own thing, go their own way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it my way. And they, they eat of the fruit. It brings sin and pain and brokenness in this world. But the good news is God has a plan for restoration, right? God plans to redeem a people. And that plan of redemption is ultimately going to come through Jesus Christ. And so all the, New, all the Old Testament 
right? It's pointing forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, the, the awaiting the Messiah, the Savior. And when we come to the New Testament, we see Jesus Christ come on the scene. He's the fulfillment of all those prophecies. He's the Messiah that comes to lay down his life, to redeem a people, his church, right? So God restores his church. He redeems us and he places us on the path of righteousness, right? And then he sends us into the world, right? He says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you, right? Do you realize that God, if you're a Christian, you're sitting here, God has sent you into the world to be his witnesses, right? To be his ambassador, right? That's what the Great Commission is all about. Think about the Great Commission. Uh, He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, right? Go, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and surely I'm with you till the end of the age, right? The shepherd is with us on that path of righteousness. He sends us. He goes with us. And so that, that's what this is all about, right? And this is, and, 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 and this is all, here, here's why we do it, right? For his namesake. He leads us on paths of righteousness for his namesake, right? It's all about his kingdom and his glory. He's doing, so God's saving the people, setting them on this path, sending them into the world so that his name is made great. So the whole world would know him, so the world would, would worship him. So that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what he's, he, he's doing. And, and so when we live this path of righteousness, right, God's name gets made great. Right? He's glorified. We put God on display by the way we live as his people. Now, in verse 4, the path metaphor continues. The path metaphor continues, and you got to understand that this is still the path of righteousness. The path of righteousness now leads into the valley of the shadow of death. Right? Have you heard that? You've probably heard this so many times, right? Coolio, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life. <laughs> right? Coolio, he's got this song. I love to do a hip-hop joke. I can never do a hip-hop joke at, my, at Redemption West Mesa. <laughs> but... Right, this path metaphor continues into the shadow of death. And now, traditionally, you've heard this. You've probably heard it a million times at a funeral, right? Now, another way you could translate this from the original is that is the darkest valley. The darkest valley. Because this, this psalm is not about death, right? This psalm is about life. It's about the path of righteousness. It's about the path of righteousness that, that leads into dark valleys and, and difficulties. And, and so this, this helps us see what, right, we see David finding his security in the midst of his troubles in the shepherd. That's what's going on here, right? He doesn't fear because the shepherd's with him. His rod and his staff are, are comforting him, right? The, 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 the staff is, is, to, is this, this metaphor, this picture of, of the shepherd leading me, right? The, the rod is, the, is a picture of, of him protecting me and guiding me on this path in the difficulties, right? And so you got to ask yourself, why is the sheep now going into the, the darkest valley, 
Why is he going in this valley of darkness? Right? It, it starts in the meadows. Now, why? Why, why suffering? Why difficulty? And, and you might think at first, well, maybe it's because he's, he's strayed. He's strayed off into sin, and now he's entered into that dark valley, and he's going his own way, and the shepherd's going to go rescue him and bring him back. Right? But that's not the picture. The picture isn't of the, the sheep straying and then being rescued back to the meadows. Right? The picture here is of the shepherd leading his sheep into the darkest valley. He's leading them into the darkness. And so this reminds us that God allows difficulty into our life. God ordains difficult people and circumstances and suffering and, and persecution and pain. Right? Life doesn't just stay in the, in the metals. Right? Uh, we've probably all experienced it, right? We've all experienced those, those dark, darkest valleys, those, those difficult times, the suffering, the pain, right? Losing a, 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 a family member or losing a job or, or sickness or sin, just, you know, just struggling with sin, right? There's those valleys in life. And so we have to know that the life is filled with times of meadows, in times of valleys. Right? That's, that's just the way life is. And so what is God doing? You got to ask yourself, what is God doing in those valleys? Right? What's the purpose? Why, why would the shepherd, why? Why do you go there? Stay in the meadow. Right? It's beautiful there. There's water there. There's grass. I can rest. It's peaceful. Why do I have to go through that? Well, I, I want you to know that God transforms us in those difficult times. A lot of times you can't see it when you're going through it, right? It makes no sense. You don't know what God's doing. or You might, even, you might feel like God's not even there. Like, God, where are you? Have, have you forgotten me? Remember the psalm was at Psalm 8 or Psalm 13 the other day? You might feel like he has, but he hasn't, right? God allows those difficulties to, to refine us, right? There's this idea in the scripture about the refiner's fire that purifies us. And so the picture is just like gold is, is purified by fire, right? It's melted down. The, the impurities come to the top and they're, and they're taking off. That's what God's doing to us. He's refining us through these difficulties. Romans 8.29 tells, tells us he does it to conform us to the image and likeness of his son Jesus. Right? That's why James 1-2 says, Consider it joy, pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Right? So you can consider it joy in the valley. Because you know God's moving. He's there with you. And, and there's a purpose in this. And ultimately the first part is, is to shape you to change you, right? When you look back to difficulty, a lot of times most people will say, man, I would never change it, right? Because I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't go through that. And that's what God does. So we shouldn't be surprised. 1 Peter 4.12 says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. Right? Don't be surprised. God, God, uh, God leads us to the meadows and the valleys. 
And God's doing it to shape his people and to mold us. And, and he's there with us so we will cling to him. And, and the second thing I think is, is God builds our trust. We learn to trust the shepherd in the valleys, right? Because he's with us. His confidence give us, gives us the courage to, to press forward. And we cling to him. We, we grab, right, we grab onto him in the valleys. In the meadows, just think about it. When life is easy and comfortable and you have everything you need, that's when you stray. It's easier to stray in the, in the meadows, right? You get caught up in the grass and the, in the water and the beauty, right? So when all, everything's easy, we're thinking, ah, man, I got it in control. I don't pray as much. I'm kind of got this all in. in it's, all, you know, I got it all together, right? It's in the valleys we realize, man, I, I got to cling to the shepherd. He's my only hope. And the closer we are to him, the safer we feel. So God is glorious because God is glorious and because he's so powerful, then we don't have to fear. Uh, I always use this, this story. One time when I was a kid, there was a, a neighborhood bully. His name was Dewey. Isn't that a great name? Dewey or Doofy or something like that. And I remember one time I was in my front yard and he came up on me and was trying to punk me. Right, he was, he was trying to intimidate me, scare me. I don't know what he was doing, but uh, but I was scared. I don't know why. What I don't know what was wrong with me, but I was scared. And all of a sudden, my mom comes out, and my mom sees, and she's like, "Mijo, right? What, what's going on? Is this guy trying to mess with you?" And I didn't say nothing. I'm just like here, all scared. And and she says, "What are you scared of this guy for? Look how little he is. What you're twice his size. What's he gonna do to you?" And as she started saying that, I was like, oh, dang, I am bigger than this guy. He ain't gonna, what's he going to do to me? But my mom's presence, right, she was near, gave me the courage to stand up against this guy. And I just beat, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't do, <laughs> I didn't do nothing. 911 <laughs> got called. No, no, but I stood up to him, this kid. This kid never messed with me again, right? I stood up, courage, my mom's presence gave me the courage to stand, and he never messed with me again, right? And then I became the bully. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just teasing. But, right, so God's presence gives us the courage, the, the, what we need in those dark valleys, right? The point is, draw near to him in the valleys, in the difficulties, don't run elsewhere, right? You're going to make your pain greater. Run to him. Cling to him. Don't be surprised when difficulty happens. God's ordained this for your good. And he's moving and he's working and you're going to trust him. And you're going to be more like Jesus at the end of it, right? He's the, that's part of the path of righteousness, right? That's the path of, of right living, good living, right? That we've been saved for. If you even remember Titus, right? We're saved not by good works, but we're saved for good works. So are you in a darkest valley right now? Right? You, maybe you're in there. Maybe, I, I know in a sense we are in a dark valley as we live through, walk through this broken world. This, the difficulty and the pain of this world, you know, it's hard. 
But sometimes we're in that deepest of darkest of valleys. And I, I want to encourage you guys to cling to him. And if you're in some of that, maybe it's that difficulty right now. I want to, I wrote a little something. Here's what God would say to you. Here's what the shepherd would say to you in the valley. Do not fear. I am with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. I'm leading, guiding, and protecting you. In me, you lack nothing. Trust me and follow me. I love you. That's what the shepherd's saying to you in your valley right now. Now, as we go on, the second, we move on to the second part of this, uh, this psalm here. It introduces God as, as a host of a banquet. It, it kind of shifts. Now, the psalmist is now treated as an honored guest and not an animal. Honored guest, not an animal. And you see that God not only provides what's necessary, but provides for him in abundance, right? You see him preparing this, this banquet table, right? This, you prepare a table before me. And so the picture is a, is a great feast. It's a, it's a meal. It's a party, right? That, and and you got to understand, in, the, in a hospitality culture, which the culture that was written in, again, this is a picture of a friendship and intimacy and closeness. And, and, and so, again, you see now uh, the, the host, right, drawing near to the sheep, the sheep and the shepherd drawing near to one another, right? He's anointing his head with oil, right, restoring him, cleaning him up, providing his needs. He's filling his cup to overflowing. And so the image there is just this overflowing blessing and grace and mercy of God and, and the provision of God. It's overflowing. It's pouring out of the cup. It's spilling out everywhere. And this is similar to Psalm 13. If you guys remember Psalm 13, it was David writing there. And he was in the midst of an attack. Right? He was in the midst of great pain and difficulty. And he says, he says something that God's dealt bountifully with me. And his circumstances hadn't changed. He was still in the same circumstance. And that prayer didn't change God, it changed him, right? He realized that, hey, God's presence here with me is, is, is bountiful dealing. And so the, the same thing that's happening in Psalm 13 is happening here. His circumstances haven't changed, right? You see this, his enemies are still around him, right? He, he's preparing this table in the presence of his enemies. And, and, and his cup is overflowing in the midst of difficulty, in pain, and God is meeting him there. And so he's trusting God, right? He, he's, he's trusting God that, that is able to protect him in, this pres in the presence of his enemy, it, the, a God who's able to provide for him in the pr presence of his enemies. And so that, I mean, that, that's just beautiful comfort, right? In the presence of his enemies, his, his cup is overflowing. It reminds us that well, God will provide our needs, Right? He'll, he'll, he'll meet us there. He'll protect us. He'll lead us, guide us. He'll comfort us. I mean, that's what this whole image about is about. And then it's a, another image of how powerful God is. Right? Think how powerful God is. David's enemies are all around, and God's preparing, preparing a feast. Right? The enemies, they're not invited. They can watch, and they can't even do nothing to him. Right? That's how powerful God is. God laughs at his enemies. Right? The nations take their stand against God, and, and he laughs at them. Right? 
It's like a little, a little kid threatens to beat you up, right? You laugh. It's cute. These guys can't do it. No, no one can do anything to God. His plans cannot be stopped. So might, you might ask, well, who are your enemies? You know, immediately you think about people, but most of us probably don't have people as our enemies. You know, it might feel sometimes like we have some enemies, maybe a, a boss or, or a family member might feel like an enemy sometimes, but in general we don't have enemies. But we do have a, a, a couple other enemies that we don't think about. One enemy is our own flesh, right? Our, our flesh, our sinful desires that want us to stray off the path of righteousness, to look outside of God for fulfillment. And another enemy we have is, is Satan, right? Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, right? He's the father of lies, and he wants to lie to you and have you stray off the path, right? He wants to tell you, no, hey, God's not good, right? God doesn't love you. He wants to lie. So think about, so picture yourself on the path of righteousness, right? There's temptation to stray. There's temptation to stray off that path whether you're in the meadows, right? You can turn to comfort and idols and, you know, and it's all good. And we'll look to the creation rather than the creator. And there's temptation in the, in the valleys when things get difficult to get angry and bitter at God and, and just say forget it, right? There's, there's danger. There's temptation to, to, to stray. And Satan wants to, to add to that temptation. He's the father of lies. He wants to lie to you. And the, one of the big lies he wants to tell you is that God is not good. Right? God's not good. He can't make you happy. He's not going to fulfill you. Here's, you need these, right? Here's some idols for you. Comfort, pleasure, power, control, right? Go after these things. That, that'll make you happy. Or the other lie is, God doesn't love me. Right? God doesn't love you, man. You blew it. You screwed it up too many times. You might as well just go do your own thing. Right? You, you outsend God's grace. So that's what Satan wants to do, right? But, but um, there's this beautiful picture here of God's goodness and mercy. God's goodness and mercy. This is, this is amazing. This is one of my favorite parts of this whole thing. God's goodness and mercy follow us, right? So there's this idea here of God's goodness and mercy are, are pursuing after us. And, and one scholar wrote that, uh, that God's goodness and mercy are like the shepherd's sheepdogs keeping us on the path of righteousness, right? So God's, God's goodness on one hand is, is, is bringing us back to the path of righteousness. When, when we see that God is good, I don't have to look elsewhere, right? His goodness keeps bringing us back as, as we enjoy him, as we know him, as we begin to see that pleasures are at his right hand forevermore. And the other hand is, is, is his mercy, right? That word mercy it, it is, is hesed. It's God's hesed love which is his steadfast love, his, his covenant commitment love. It's a strong love. It's unbreakable love. It's forever love. It's enduring love. So God's mercy reminds us that 
that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That there's nothing can separate us from the love of God. So as we stray, we believe the lies, right? God's goodness and his, his loving mercy are bringing us back to the path. As we, as we renew our minds in truth, as, as we repent and turn back to, to God, right? We, we, we stay on the path in his, in his mercy and his, and his goodness are what keep us there. And I, and I love this now. So you're on this path, temptation astray, God's goodness and mercy are, are keeping you on the path, right? And where does the path lead? It says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, right? It leads to the presence of God himself, right? So the idea of dwelling in the presence was, was the temple where God's presence dwelt. And so he's saying, I'm going to be where God lives for all of eternity. I'm going to be in the presence of, of, of the shepherd. So ultimately, this whole path, right, through the meadows, through the valleys, the shepherd is leading us to himself, to his presence forevermore, to enjoy him, to know him, to worship him for all of eternity, to, to experience soul satisfaction. And so we're reminded that no matter how bad it gets, it can only last a lifetime, right? It's Tom Schrader, uh, founding pastor of Redemption Church, I grew up under his preaching, but he would say that all the time. No matter how bad it gets, it can only last a lifetime. No matter how bad that dark valley gets, you know, compared to the eternal presence of God, right, it's only, if even this, a millisecond, right? So I got a couple application points for you before I move on. So one of the things we see here is there's this kind of a, almost seems like a contradiction, right? The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want, right? So it, when you first read this, you kind of think like, okay, so God's going to give me all of my, my needs and, and all my desires and, and everything I want, God's going to give them to me. But you don't see that happening here, right? You see valleys, you see enemies here, and so there's this like, what is this contradiction? God's saying he's going to give me everything I want. I don't want valleys. I don't want enemies, right? If he's giving me what I want, I'm going to stay in the meadows, in the pastures, near the water, right? I'm going to avoid the valleys. So you're like, well, man, man, if, even if we think now, like, there's a lot of things that I want, right? You want more money. You want more sleep. You want more patience, a better job, right? We can put a long list of things that we want. And so that leaves you kind of, how, how do I reconcile that? And so it's important to know that you will. this psalm is saying you will never lack any good thing that you need from God. Right? God knows what you need better than you do. Right? God's going to work out everything for your good. Romans 8, 20, God works out all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to your purpose. God is giving you the good you need, even in the valleys, even in the valleys. Psalm 84, 11 says, no good does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. 
Like God's giving you all your good. It might not be the good you choose. It might not be uh, what, you'd, uh, what, you'd, right, what you'd pick or desire, but it, it's the good that you need. And God is sovereign in control and good enough to, to know it all, right, as he sees it all beginning to end. So the whole psalm then is leading us to find fulfillment in the shepherd. He is everything that I need. In him, I lack no good thing. Because what I need, the only thing I lack is him. He's the fulfillment. And if I don't have anything else, if I lose everything and I have the shepherd, I have all I need. I'm not lacking anything. That's what the psalm is saying, right? So you could lose it all. And in Christ, right, in the shepherd, you lack no good thing. John Piper says this. uh, He says, I feel myself drawn with David, not so much to love the green pastures, but to love the good shepherd. Not so much to love the lavish banquet, but the bountiful host. Right, so it's calling us to, to love the shepherd and not the grass, right? It's calling us to love the, the, the banquet host and not his table. That's what this psalm is doing. So he's one that's satisfying and filling us up. Another thing is that this psalm should move us to prayer. There's this incredible pattern if you look at this, this, uh, this psalm. And you see the intimacy that it, just the how David the writer is drawn closer and closer to God. Check it out. Open it up. Open up your Bible and look at it. What you're going to notice is in the first three verses, David the writer of this says, "He, he, 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 he." That's how he talks about God. He leads me beside still waters. Right. He leads me to the green meadows, the pastures. It's all about he. He's talking about God. And then there's this shift in verse 4. As he heads into the darkest valley, he says, I, I, and then he goes to you, 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 right? He begins talking to God. So right in in the darkest of valley, he stops talking about God, and he starts talking to God. And so that's, that's what this psalm does, and all the psalms should lead us to, right, is to lead us from talking about God to talking to God. So as we read any of the Psalms that you read, anytime you read your scripture, right, you read it for theology. You you read it to to be instructed and shaped by the truth and find out who God is and and what he wants, right, to to learn more about his grace and the biblical story. And, And so you read about him, he, he, but then it should move us to respond to you, you, Lord, you, Lord, right? As, that's, what, that's what reading your Bible is God speaking to you, and then prayer is you speaking back to God. And, and nowhere more powerful is that is right here in this psalm, right? right? So we should, we should see who God is as, as the shepherd and then respond to him, Lord, you are my shepherd. You lead me in paths of righteousness, right? You restored my soul. You lead me through the darkness. In you are pleasures forevermore, right? You prepare this, this table before me in the presence of my enemy. So we should move from theology, which is learning about God, to doxology, 
which is worship, right? It's prayer. It's our response to God, right? Theology leads to doxology. And so that's what we get. Great theology in the psalm, and we respond by worshiping God, all right? The last thing I want to remind us of is the gospel. I want you to know all the, the scriptures are about Jesus, right? In, the, in Isaiah, it tells us, Isaiah 53, 6 tells us, and I love the New Living Translation, tells us, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And then in the New Testament, Jesus in John 10, 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Right? So there's this, this picture in Scripture, this, this sheep metaphor. Is, here we all, we're all sheep, right? We have all strayed off the path of righteousness, right? We've rebelled against God. We've gone our own way. And even in Isaiah, we get this picture of, of one day, right, the, the, the Lord laying on laying the sins of the world on is speaking of Jesus, right? And so in the New Testament, Jesus claims, hey, I'm the good shepherd. And Jesus is the good shepherd who, who was sitting up on the throne and, and humbled himself and came down and became a sheep, right? Jesus became a sheep. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus walked through the darkest of dark valleys on our behalf, right? He was, he was cursed for our sin. He was crucified. He, he died. The sins of the world are, are poured out upon him. And the deepest of darkness is when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's separated from the Father, right? And, and so we see Jesus Right, going to the deepest of darkness, being cut off from the Father to bring us close, to bring us near him, to restore our soul, right? To restore us to relationship with God, to, to reverse the effects of the fall. And that's what Jesus is doing. And, and think about that idea of truly God's goodness and his loving mercy, right, are, are pursuing us. Never more do you see that more in, in display, on display than the, the cross, right? God's goodness and mercy pursued you so much to the point of, of Jesus giving his own life. Right, so our response, whether you're a, a Christian or you're not a Christian, is trust God. Repent, right? Cry out to him. Uh, Give your life to the shepherd. Trust him. Right? Obey him. Worship him. Right? That, he truly is a good shepherd and is worthy of our whole lives. All of our lives belong to him. And that path of righteousness is the good life. It truly is the good life. Right? The good life's not out there, right or left. The good life is here. Trusting in the shepherd. Because I'm telling you, the darkest valleys are coming whether you believe in Jesus or not, right? So I'd rather have the shepherd leading me and guiding me and having a purpose and trusting him and enjoying him. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I, uh, I just thank you, Lord, so much, Lord, that you, the good shepherd, sinless shepherd, would come, Lord, and 
and lay down your life for us, undeserving sheep who have strayed, Lord, that your sin is poured out on you. Thank you for restoring us, for redeeming us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be drawn to you. Draw us to you by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.